We're super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. They are suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self, an expression of your personality. They're more than meets the eye, but also, therefore, the athletes. Do you run? Do you golf? Do you train? You want to look like your favorite athlete? Guys like Lamar Jackson, Debo Samuel, Aaron Jones, the backbone of my dynasty team, Justin Jefferson? Well, then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakley's today and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today personally i love the holbrook sunglasses just a very classic look and comfortable fit for wearing around town every single day and Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do. So head over to oakley.com and do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday sunglasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information. Hello, Lakers Nation. Sean Davis here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. The offseason is starting to wind down. We're getting ready for Summer League. And one of the topics I want to dive into heading into next season is look at some of the coaches. And this is more NBA front office stuff, but Today, I wanted to look at and evaluate Darvin Ham following his rookie season and if there's any optimism for Coach Ham heading into year two. So we're going to dive into that on today's episode. Before we get into all that, quick reminder, please do subscribe here to Lakers Ace YouTube channel. Ring that post notification bell as well. And if you're listening on podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, please make sure you give us a five-star rating and reviews to easiest way to help out the show and leave a like as well here on the youtube channel also a very easy way to help out the show but all right guys we got six categories i'm going to be grading slash evaluating uh coach ham on heading into year two and i was a darwin ham guy uh he was the guy i wanted the lakers to hire my top three for the lakers to hire were darwin ham uh darwin ham kevin young will hardy those are my three um so yeah, it, I I would say we saw a bit of good. We saw some some rocky stuff as well. Uh, let me just put it out there. I don't think Darvin Ham is a bad NBA head coach. I think he is an NBA head coach. Uh, I I think I just finished my coaching rankings personally. My personal rankings. I think Darvin Ham is twenty first for me. Um, but I think there's room to grow, and I think we saw moments where he was a really good coach in, in the second half of the season at times. He still had those lapses, but if you asked me earlier in the season, I probably would have had Darvin like 25, but I think the back half of the season, once you give him a competent roster and the playoff run, I think uh, he ranks out uh, 21st or so for me. And I think that's where also where I'm going to start at. I don't think you get to the conference finals if Darvin Ham was a bad coach if he was the worst head coach in all of basketball, which gets put out there a ton, right? Which in turn comes off as me being like a Darvin Ham supporter where I think he's average. I'd be like, literally, he's 21st for me. So technically math, slightly below average, but high grade. I have a whole grading scale for uh, coaches and whatnot. So I think he's a little bit about average, but neither here nor there. So we have six categories for y'all today. We have playoff game plan and preparation. 
We have tactical adjustments, in-game and game-to-game adjustments. Uh, in-game management, which is more so timeout usage, uh, timeout management, rotations, things of that nature. Defensive scheme, offensive scheme and play calling, and then leadership. We're going to start with the good, uh, and that is the leadership with Darvin Ham, where he's going to get an A, in my opinion. Look, I, I think one of the reasons why the Lakers hired Darvin Ham is because the respect that he commands out of a locker room and i mean i'm just gonna say it like i don't think very many head coaches would be able to come in and do the job that darvin ham did in terms of not losing that locker room like that was a really bad situation and we're gonna be completely honest the lakers for the first time <laughs> for the first time ever with the team that has lebron james as their player the Lakers weren't like a desirable option to be completely honest with you. Like you have an aging LeBron still 80s coming off of arguably the worst year of his career. You have Russell Westbrook in that like just brain screw job or whatever. And just the mental headache that's going to come with that. You have a locker room that's like going to be reshaped very quickly. Going to be a bunch of new guys in that locker room. And Darvin Ham came in basically from the jump and re like regather that locker room and at least set the foundation for what we would see once the Lakers gave him competent players. Um, he did the best with the Russell Westbrook situation. And for a team that started off, what was it? Two and 10 to it's very, very easy to lose a locker room as a, as a first year head coach, you start off two and 10 and he somehow managed to not, lose the locker room so i have complete confidence that darvin ham as a people person as a leader of a locker room a leader amongst men if you will um that's probably the one thing i have absolutely zero concern about when it comes to darvin ham i think everything else i have some critique of um but for the most part man i think he's a great leader i think he commands the locker room well and you have to commend darvin ham for the job he did in terms of not losing the locker room um because he had like as, as great as Will Hardy is, right? And spoiler for like my in-depth preseason power rankings that you guys will be able to find on the NBA front office show, uh, kicking that off in a couple of weeks. But like Will Hardy, for example, ranks 13th in my coaching rankings. I don't know if Will Hardy could have came in and did a better job in terms of not losing the locker room, which is arguably the more important thing. Because I think... Frank Vogel, if you look at like the defensive schemes and stuff like that, Frank does. Frank's not as good of an offensive coach. He doesn't need to be now in Phoenix because he has Kevin Young, but that's not the point. Like what we saw last season or two years ago now with Frank Vogel as the coach was great defensive mind. We all know that, but like he lost the locker room and you could tell it was a point during that season where he lost the locker room and it didn't matter how good of an X's and O's guy you are. If you lose the locker room, you've lost the locker room and it's time to move on. Like, for example, if Eric Spostra, this might be a bit drastic, but if Eric Spostra, one of the best tacticians, schemers, play designers in all of basketball, if he lost the Miami Heat locker room tomorrow, it wouldn't matter how good he is at any of that stuff because he lost the locker room. So leadership is something that I think is super, super important. I think the other stuff is a lot easier to work on. So I think that's why. I'm going to answer my own question at the end, but I think that's part of the reason why there is some optimism. Uh, that alone, the fact that you're, he's so far has the ability to be a leader in hostile environments. So I think that's 
the best thing about Coach Ham. Let's move on to his offensive scheme, which I'm a little bit more critical of. I still think it's fine. I give it a, a C plus. Him, Chris Jen, I think it's fine. I think they do some good stuff. I, I think at times we saw the ball movement be really, really good, kind of going off of that four out, one in, driving kick motion um, that is going to utilize players in different spots. This is kind of similar to how it was in Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee did a better job, and obviously it's a little bit different because Milwaukee didn't have a true post player like AD. Giannis, they were supposed to for Giannis, but Giannis is more of an initiator and not a play finisher, which is, quite frankly, more so what AD is. So it was interesting to see them craft the offense for Anthony Davis. This is also an offensive scheme and offensive play calling, which is another reason why it drops as a C+. Because the consistency of the play calls would be so frustrating because you could argue at least, I think Braun's probably still the best player because of the consistency, but like you have to force feed Anthony Davis the ball. And there were so many times like that Chicago game where it's just blatantly unacceptable for you to run. What was it? I think three set plays for Anthony Davis, like where the scoring action is for AD throughout an entire game. We got too many of those situations last season. Um, and that's super frustrating. Like, how do you not arguably a top 12 player, not arguably a top 12 player, arguably top 10 player in the world, only scheme up three plays for him throughout a 48 NBA minute game where he probably plays 38 minutes of it, right? Let's just super unacceptable. I think the playbook is good. I think it's good, but I think it's limited to the sense of like, they need, it just needs something more. I, I don't, I don't think, I think the actions are kind of scoutable, if, if that makes sense, especially when you get to the playoffs. Like, for example, I'm a big fan of, like, speaking to Will Hardy, that, like, Utah Jazz offense, for example, right? Where, like, they're going to have their sets, but a set is a scoring action. The Lakers have good sets. I don't think they have a great offense, if that makes sense. Like, why well, I think great offenses in the NBA, which is different than a set, an offense is something that, like, you take one action away, I'm going to be able to go to a second or third different action. I think about the Heat. I think about the Nuggets, the Warriors, the Jazz, the Celtics to a certain extent. A couple other teams that I just aren't – the Spurs, obviously. Um, trying to see if I can think of one or two more. Um, the Pacers to a certain extent. Like, that's that. those are kind of the teams I think of, right? The Kings. Oh, man, the Kings. I love their offense. Um I just don't think of that with the with the Lakers. Like I think their offense is very like just mid. I think it's okay. The sets I'm a fan of. Like I've even taken a couple of the sets I've added to my playbook. I think they have sets that counter a bunch of different coverages. Again, going to the play calling thing, I don't think they do it enough. Like you go to a Golden State series, for example, where the Warriors throw out a bunch of different ice coverages. They struggle with the game too. Game three, game four, the Lakers figure it out and say, okay, cool. You want to ice our ball screens? We're going to spam Chicago action. And it worked. Chicago action is just uh, typically corner pinned down into a dribble handoff. Really hard to reject it because it's a wide open layup, typically at a five-out offense. And, you know, that <clears throat> it, it basically forces a middle drive. Because, again, if you reject the the guy that's getting the, the down screen into a handoff, it's a wide open layup. So you almost you have to force it. Force the guy to, that's getting the, the corner pin down to use the screen. And then if you, he has to use the screen, it goes into a handoff, which goes into the middle of the floor. Um, so 
And then game five, they just said, you know what? We're going to forget all this stuff that's worked and that's countered this coverage for two and a half games or whatever. We're going to go back to everything that didn't work and forget how to play call. Just those mental lapses, man, are so frustrating. I will give them the slightest benefit of the doubt, though. Like, I think a guy like a Colin Castleton could really open up the playbook to a certain extent. I think all of the guys the Lakers drafted, man, I think they could really open up the playbook. If Max Lewis can be a movement shooter, which I think this team desperately needs right now, like, I think Gabe Vincent has some upside for it. I think a couple of got Christy kind of has some upside for it. But, like, they need a legitimate movement shooter. That's why I mocked Jordan Hawkins. That's why everybody mocked Jordan Hawkins to the Lakers for the longest. It's because the Lakers need it. This coaching staff, more importantly, needs it. So, I think you add a guy like a Colin Castleton. You add a guy like a Gabe Vincent, who I think Gabe Vincent played in one of the more well-run machine-type offenses in the NBA in Miami. And Colin Castleton... Being a, a big that can really dribble, pass, and do a bunch of different things offensively, I think those two guys can really open up the offensive scheme if given the opportunity. So C+, plus, I think there's a ton of room for growth. I think the sets are good. The offense is kind of meh, but um, the sets are really, really good. The sets are really, really good. Let's move on to – I kind of touched on it, but let's move on to some of the playoff game planning and preparation. And this is actually – I'm going to give it a B-, minus, a B-, minus, right? I think for two series, really a series and a half, Darvin Ham and the coaching staff, I thought what I saw in film during my hours of preparation, I'm not I'm not saying I prepared more for a series than they did, right? But throughout my hours of preparation for the Memphis series and for the Golden State series, I feel like what I saw in film was closely aligned to what the Lakers saw in film based off what we saw through those two series. I thought... Coming out, going into that Memphis series, it's like, okay, cool. You sent, you ice job ball screens on the right side of the floor. You uh, you watch out for their double drag, like screen to screener, back screen lob play. Like, like I did, I, basically, I, was, I wasn't impressed with Memphis offensively and defensively with Memphis. Uh, I'm like, okay, cool. Look, if it's a post up, they're almost, they're, they're almost always going to send their help and their double teams baseline. And if it's a ball screen on the opposite wing, I mean, ball screen on the wing, opposite uh, wing defenders could be all the way over at the nail. So be ready for stampede cuts, pin in players, et cetera, et cetera. And in that Memphis series, it was really, really good. The, the game planning, the preparation, Golden State series. It was, for the most part, really good. I think Steve Kirsch is a significantly better coach than Taylor Jenkins was. So I think the chess battle was a little bit more intense than it was in that Memphis series because let's be honest, and this is I'm gonna say it's not this that it proceeded this them, but like Austin Reeves statistically was like the second or third best uh pick and roll player from any guard in the NBA in terms of attacking drop coverage. And the only one that was better was Luca. There might have been one more, but like essentially Austin Reeves was a top three pick and roll player against drop coverage all season. And the, and the Memphis Grizzlies said, you know what? We're going to let you play drop coverage against uh, drop coverage Austin Reeves for four games this series. Yeah, you didn't get that mistake from the Golden State Warriors to Steve Kerr. Um, so I look at that, man. I look at that Golden State series. I'm like, okay, cool. It's good. It was good. I thought you had like the, I forget what game was it. It might be game two where the Lakers went with the most 
boneheaded decision ever, and it was to hedge Steph Curry ball screens, which heading into the series, it was like, okay, cool. We don't have the, the versatility and the like the personnel to switch, which might be the most ideal thing. Honestly, it's just you switch everything. Um, so you can't hedge, you can't trap, anything like that. Can't show and recover. Okay, cool. We got to go high drop. You can't go low drop, which I think is what people think of when they hear drop. You got to go high drop a touch below the level of the screen, maybe. And it, you know it's not a hedge because AD's retreating backwards instead of going east to west. is more north and south in terms of AD's drop, which is what a drop is, the difference between a drop and a hedge. Um, and I thought it was, okay, go high drop. And second half of game two, Darwin has a brain fart and says, we're going to hedge Steph Curry. And of course, Steph Curry and the Warriors killed it, right? They killed it. They The Warriors really shut down a part of the Lakers half court offense, which was um, by icing the screens. And it took them a bit to adjust game three, game four, really game three. They, they got it right. Game five, it went right back down the drain where the Lakers just forgot how to, how to attack it. So again, that, that that's just some ticky tacky stuff that I think you'd be clean up on. And then you get to the Nuggets series and every single thing I said about the Nuggets series, for the most part, except like the Jokic double teams, I'm not blaming that on coaching. I'm blaming that on the players not botching their own assignments. Cough, cough, D'Angelo Russell. Cough, cough, Dennis Schroeder. Um, but like every, every single thing that I feel like I said, Lakers do this, they did it way too late, and it cost them that series. Like I will die on this hill. That's not a sweep. The Nuggets are not. 4-0 better than the Lakers. They just weren't, right? But just costly mistakes from the coaching staff, like starting three guards. I'm like, eh, even, even before game one, I wanted to be optimistic. But before game one, I'm like, ooh, that's really like, that's you're, you're pushing it. I'll be optimistic, but you're pushing it. And Lord and behold, we were like, oh yeah, duh, this didn't work. Okay, cool. Heading into the series, we were saying, you got we probably got to start Rui, right? Game two, we're like, they start Bando. Okay, cool. I probably wouldn't have done that, right? I probably would have just went with Rui, but hey, look, not two guards, not not three guards. So we're cool. Game three, after game two, I was like, probably should not play D'Lo anymore. Cool. We're going to play D'Lo game three, and now we're down 0-3. And then game five, game four, excuse me, we finally get the, oh, okay, this is the lineup we should have been playing the whole series or at worst post-game two, and we're playing it when we're down 3-0. And then, like I said, even some of the tactical and scheme stuff I thought was bad. So, like, he he thoroughly outcoached the top 15 coach to Taylor Jenkins. He, at worst, was probably neutral with Steve Kerr in the second round, but the conference finals was rough, admittedly. And even in the second round, he had some boneheaded decision-makings, but I think... And I am confident when I say this, though. I think you can win a championship with Darvin Ham. He's like a he's like a game manager quarterback in the NFL, right? And what I mean by that is, is in the NFL, a game manager quarterback, think like a, hmm, I'm trying to think of a quarterback so I don't like uh, irritate anybody, piss anybody off. Okay, think like Dak Prescott last year, who did not have a good season, right? Dak Prescott is an elite game manager that you can win with, but more often than not, you're going to win because of, right? So to put that in coaching terms, 
I think Darvin Ham is a game manager quarterback. Like, okay, better example, like a Derek Carr, right? Or a Ryan Tannehill quarterback wise for the NFL, where I'm like, you can win a championship with them. Those guys didn't, but like you can if you have the right team around them, you could be really, really good. But like you're not gonna win a championship because of them. And it's year one for Darvin, so it's more to be seen. But right now I'm fairly confident that you can win one with them. Like, but I don't think he's a Eric Spolstra or for an NFL comparison to that, he's not Patrick Mahomes, where I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, cool. We got this dude, he's gonna elevate everybody else around him. He's gonna draw up a hell of a scheme both ways. You don't gotta worry about any tactical adjustments, game to game, playoff preparation, anything like that. And then you guys get the Mahomes stuff. I think there are some concerns, right? And again, go to tactical adjustments now. I think it's a C plus. Again, I think he's just fine, right? But like I said, I think you win with him, not you win because of him necessarily. But I mean, that's that's not necessarily a diss at Darwin. I think Darwin's just fine, and that's why I think you win with him. Like I don't think you're gonna like win be like in spite of him. I think you need Darwin because I think he's a fine head coach, but he's not that ceiling razor like an Eric Spolstra is. And that's basically Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, Michael Malone, Ty Lue to a certain extent, Monty Wood. He's not one of those guys. He's, like I said, a Ryan Tannehill for NFL quarterback. NFL is on my mind, so I apologize. Um, but like I said, tactical adjustments. In-game, he's a bit slower at times to, to making some of the adjustments um, that I think need to be made. I think where the upside is with Darwin in terms of tactical adjustments are the game to game stuff, which I find a lot more impressive, uh, impressive, um, especially in a playoff series for the most part. Um, yeah, I, I got to give him his credit there. I think we saw a time, especially during the regular season, hey, a team does something against the Lakers and they try to another team comes in and try to do it for the most part. The Lakers had were ready for it. You got to get that. The coaching staff, some credit for the preparation and adjusting with time to spare. And honestly, this I'm not trying to devalue one or the other, but I think if you're going to be bad at something, I'd rather it not be game to game, I think. Right, because I think in a playoff series, I think game to game adjustments matter more in a playoff series than it does in a regular season where... I think you can get away with that or it won't be as noticeable how bad or how good it is game to game adjustments in the regular season where in the playoffs, if anything, that's what sticks out the most from a head coach is, okay, what are your adjustments game to game, right? I think we saw the end game stuff tactically be spotty at best, but I think game to game adjustments, I think he's just fine. I think he's just fine. Some room to grow. There's some optimism there with Darvinham. Let's go to easily. Like when I put this list together, I said, okay, what is um what is Darvinham's biggest weakness? The, it was very clear to me that it was this thing right here. In-game management, which is different than in-game adjustments, but in-game management, timeouts and rotations. Oh man. <laughs> this is easily the the thing he's the worst at the three guard lineups the just rotations in general i hate complaining about rotations it's probably my least favorite word now because i think i think this becomes so much of the coaching conversation where 
I'd argue all of these other things are more important than this one. Like I think offensive scheme, defense scheme that I haven't touched on yet, the tactical adjustments, playoff game plan and preparation, leadership, et cetera. I think those are all more important than this, but this is still a critical part and he's bad at it, right? Or like below average at it. Like I think it proved as time went on, he was a rookie head coach. who was really bad at the start of the year. Like, Really, really bad. I probably would have gone off the beginning of the season. Might have gotten a D minus or a D. But again, I think you gave him competent guys. The season went on. He got more reps, which I think was important. And I thought we got better lineups out of Darvin Ham. Right now, I think there's going to be some gripes about the minutes that Lonnie Walker played, especially post-trade down line. A Mobamba played. Mobamba's a little bit different, though. He got he was more so suffering with injuries, but even when he was healthy, his minutes, Max Christie, especially after the January Max Christie had, a lot of fans are like, why aren't you playing this kid more? He's been really good for you the past month. The really honestly critical part of that team in the month of January. So Laker fans, myself included, were like, Darvin, what the hell? Why isn't Max playing more? Um, yeah, so I think it got better though. I thought the timeouts and the challenges were relatively bad the whole year. Um, there were some moments where I think fans were really frustrated with it. I'm like, and that's nothing like it was this reason or this reason or whatever. But I, I think this is definitely the biggest thing that he has to improve upon heading in a year or two, which I'm excited to see if he can improve upon it. This is the one thing that I look at my list so far and I'm like, People want a wanted a veteran head coach in the in the uh, on the coaching staff. This is the reason why. Like, I don't think, for example, I don't know who that veteran coach would be, but like, I don't. This would be the one thing that I think a veteran or a prior head coach, like a Terry Stotts, was a name that got tossed around a ton. First off, brilliant offensive mind, and a guy that has the reps that Darvin doesn't have necessarily, to where he could come in and say, "Okay, cool." Here, I'll manage this and this. I'll take some stuff off your off your plate, and you get to focus on some other things. And I think in some situations like that where you get a veteran uh, coach in there, they could have helped out with some of the rotations, just some of the in-game management stuff that admittedly as an assistant coach as myself, I would probably, I'm not going to lie to you, year one, whenever I get a head coaching job, whether it's high school, college, whatever, I guarantee you I'm going to be not bad because I think some of the stuff was, like egregious with Darvin Ham, but like if my personal weakness was timeouts and rotations at the start, maybe not D minus bad, but it wouldn't be shocking because that's not something that personally, and it's, I, I don't know what Darvin had to manage in Milwaukee. Maybe he did manage uh, rotations and timeouts. I quite hope not, but that's not my job for the team. I coach, I don't deal with rotations. I don't typically call timeouts. So that's not something I've had to worry about. I've had any reps. I've never had any reps with that, right? So I'm giving Darwin somewhat the benefit of the doubt, but I can't like and like give him any slack either. Like he was bad, right? So I'm cutting him some slack, I guess, but also at the same time, admitting he was bad. Pause for just a moment to talk about game time. Ticket buying can be a very stressful experience. Personally, I am always trying to make sure that I'm getting the best deal, and that's not always easy to know. You have to go fully through the checkout process. Sometimes one app will say one thing, another app won't give you the final price until the end. 
It is a nightmare, but buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and a best price guarantee. So you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun that you are going to have. Forget about planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. So you suddenly find yourself with a little bit of time, you have some friends that want to go do something, grab tickets on game time. Game time, the guarantee means that you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's how confident they are in their best price game time guarantee. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You even get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LakersNation for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LakersNation for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Last thing before we get to my final grade is the defensive scheme. I think he is, as of right now, a better head coach. I mean, excuse me, a better defensive mind than he is a offensive mind right now. Um, I think the way he's utilized Anthony Davis has been super, super fun to watch. Um, even some of the ways he's like talked about using Jackson Hayes, which which is essentially like, hey, switching one through five, allowing Jackson to switch on the perimeter a ton, which he's had some positive film in terms of being able to do that. Honestly, it has me a bit inspired and excited to see what this new version of the Lakers defense is because you have some pretty damn got good defenders. And he got, I mean, like, let's call out it is Lonnie Walker was not a good defender heading into last season. He made Lonnie Walker like still a, not a good defender, but like the lapses defensively weren't nearly as prevalent. And Lonnie Walker was a better defender last year than he was in arguably any of his years in San Antonio. I think that's saying something. Uh, like I said, I love the way he utilizes Anthony Davis at the rim and in that high drop and just utilizing AD's ability to be one of the best screen like rim protectors in the NBA, meaning like, AD could play that high drop, use his insane wingspan to contest on perimeter, and also at the same time have the lateral quickness to be able to be moving backwards and contest at the rim. It's such a special talent, and Anthony Davis does that at a team. Shout out to Darwin for continuing to, like, feed into that, right? Um, I think that the way he's utilized Vando, the way he's, he utilized Dennis last season – has me excited about like bringing back Vando this year, Austin uh, next year, probably more as an off-ball chaser, maybe another point of attack guy. Um, Gabe Vincent, I'm actually super excited. I'm really excited about Gabe Vincent and Jackson Hayes and Darvinham scheme because I think they add some versatility. Gabe Vincent six two six three, but he plays bigger than he is defensively, and Gabe Vincent just came from the switchiest scheme in the NBA, the most complex defensive scheme where the Miami Heat are going to throw. 80 million things at you and you have to be prepared for all 80 million of them. And 
I'm excited to see what Darvin Ham can do with like a jack of all trades do defensively that's tough, that has a high basketball IQ, great competitor, and it's just gonna fight on that end of the floor. And I think Darvin in in his scheme, where it's gonna be a lot of drop, it's gonna be some helping off the corners, it's gonna be some sprinkle of a zone, which again, who played uh not not Darvin, but who just played in the most complex zone defense in a while gave Vincent and they just paid for him right so I'm super super excited to see those new guys because I do think Darvin Am is a good defensive coach I think there's some flaws I think it's lacks versatility to where like it's predictable to a certain extent like if you look at ball screens right ball screens no matter how like for example the Golden State Warriors I think had the lowest ball screen uh like uh, rate in terms of usage. There we go. Ball screen usage rate. I think it's them, the Nuggets, and the Kings who I evaluated are prepared for all three teams heading into the playoffs last season. Um, at, at, a di- at an individual point, right? I prepared for both Sacramento and Golden State for that second round, and then uh, Denver for the conference finals. Obviously, those are like the three lowest teams in the NBA in terms of ball screen usage, I believe, right? And per synergy, and that still makes up for at worst, like, 18 to 20% of their offense, right? So, like, you face a team like a Denver Nuggets, and if not more than 20%, by the way, you face a team like a Denver Nuggets, or you face any team, right? Like, that's still going to be the number one priority. Like, how do we defend, I don't know, Steph Curry ball screens, which was a big point of emphasis heading into that Warriors series. Um, How do we defend Jamal Murray? Nikola Jokic, ball screens. Cool. How do we defend De'Aaron Fox, Demonis Sabonis, ball screens? How do we defend Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, uh, John Moran, Jaron Jackson Jr.? Trying to think of the other Western Conference teams. Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Chet Holmgren next year, maybe. I I don't know, right? So far, for the most part, it's we're going to drop. Shrug. We're going to play high drop, and if you counter it, shrug. We might switch a couple of times. But just, like, the lack of versatility, which is something that, honestly, like, you got to give Milwaukee a ton of credit for with when Bud was there and, he, and Darwin was there also. It's just not a ton of that here in L.A. I think that is my biggest, like, concern. Or not even concern, just, like, stepping back point. And I just want to see, can Darvin Ham do this consistently as a defensive mind? Like, I think... He's a step down or two from Frank Vogel because I think Frank Vogel was a super good at what he does and then also could sprinkle in a bunch of different coverages. I think Darwin's good at what he does and that's commendable, but I think that limits his ceiling as a defensive coach, if that makes sense. Fine defensive mind, but I think it's relatively scoutable, relatively schemable. Yeah, scoutable and in some ways predictable, but he's it's really, really good. It was what top three defense post trade deadline. Not surprised, but you get to the playoffs, you face these high-level teams and these high-level offensive engines. If they beat it, I just don't see the counterpunch right now from the Lakers. Now, I'm hoping that adding some guys like a Gabe Vincent, Jackson A's, you know, Torian Prince, I've, I've been remiss of talking about this whole time. I hope those guys can um, add some versatility to where Darvin's able to get more versatile with his uh, coverages defensively. I will say this, and this goes to my playoff preparation point. I loved how they doubled Jokic. I was one of the few. There's a couple of like of the the X's and O's gurus on Twitter. 
that were also preaching the same sentiment. But when I was looking at the Nuggets film and preparation for, I was one of the few on the staff for sure. And then there's, like I said, there's a couple other on Twitter's in general, like Tim and some other people um, that were saying you got a double Jokic. And the reason why is because like, I thought when you looked at the film, one Jokic is arguably the best post player in the past decade. Like if you look at the advanced analytics, he doesn't have a true weakness in terms of his post bag, right? So I, I looked at the film and I'm like, okay, cool. Jokic post-ups is a big offensive engine for them. Cool. How do we stop that from happening? And I thought we looked at the tape, he looked at the data. It was, okay, force passes, force Jokic to pass out of a double team with the double team coming towards Jokic. Like it's a 1.3 points per possession to like a 0.9 points per 0.9 something points per possession, right? Which 0.9 is still pretty good, but it's a drop off from the absurd 1.3 points per possession on Jokic post ups, right? I thought when you doubled from the baseline, even the, I'm, not ta- I'm not just talking about like regular teams, right? I'm talking about the Lakers when the Lakers even did this in the regular season. Like when the Lakers doubled from the baseline, which is something we saw from Memphis a lot against us, the Lakers got burned because of Aaron Gordon and the pennant and players on the weak side. They killed the Lakers with that. But you double from the passer, and as long as the weak side, like the opposite wing dudes, like Jokic likes to post up on the right block a ton, right? So post entry on the right block, Jokic has it. The double team comes from the passer. Okay, cool. That opposite, so the left wing defender has to bump over to the passer's def- to the passer's man. I'm ser- sorry, to the passer, excuse me, so that the passer's defender can go double Jokic. When the Lakers did that, which would then essentially leave two uh two players guard one player guarding two on the backside, or two guarding three maybe even right. But I'm sorry for the long winded explanation. When the Lakers did that, it worked. And it felt like they wanted to do that in the conference finals. But D'Angelo Russell botched a few coverages really badly. Dennis had a couple of like glaring ones where he just wasn't there in time. So I, I like that from Darvin. I like the ability to like mix it up with his post coverages at least. And that is exciting. What player I don't think will have those types of lapses defensively off ball? Gabe Benson and Terry and Prince. So I'm super excited there, man. I think it's possible. We we go back next year when I redo this next year, and Darvin Ham's defensive scheme isn't a B. It's a B plus or an A minus, right? But I think right now, good scheme at face value, gets the most out of his players, I think, to a certain extent, raises the floor of his players. Like, again, I thought Lonnie had a pretty – serviceable defensive season still probably a negative defensively but i thought he had more positive moments than he did in the past and that's not not towards lonnie again i thought he had some big moments for us um but again i think it's somewhat predictable in a playoff setting because i just don't think there's a counterpunch especially when we talk about the most important thing for a defense that's countering pick and roll attacks i think the lakers have a high drop of ad switching occasionally and that's about it so very curious to see if that can grow heading into next season so my final grade for darvin ham and i'll talk about this more when i do my in-depth preseason power rankings uh on the front office show which you guys will go check out though start releasing a couple episodes in a couple of weeks by the end of july the uh, bottom three teams should be revealed final grade for darvin ham is 21st and he's a c plus 
I think, again, his best skills, the leadership. I trust him now, I think. Trust is a strong word. I think you could win with him. I think he's just fine as a head coach. He has his flaws. I think the offensive scheme leaves more to to be desired from an offensive standpoint. The sets are fine. I'll actually really enjoy the sets. But, like, the offense itself, I think, could be a little bit better. I think the end game management has to improve or otherwise it just limits the coach. Darvin M can really be the tactical adjustments, especially in game can be that needs to be improved upon. But I think he's a, a leader amongst men. The defensive scheme's good. And I think the playoff game plan is good enough to where, like I said, I think you can win with him in the playoffs. There's upside. I don't think he's the worst head coach in the NBA. And I think, and I hope that throughout this video, I detailed in depth how I feel about Darvin Ham facts over feelings though based off the film I've watched I've watched some film over the past couple of days to kind of regroup my thoughts about Darvin so I appreciate y'all for joining me on this 40 minute journey evaluating and grading Darvin Ham if you guys do enjoy please do subscribe right here to the Lakers Asia YouTube channel ring that post notification bell for more Subscribe over to Lakers Asia Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review, guys. Truly does mean the world to us. And one last thing. If you guys are going to be in Vegas for Summer League, we'll, the whole crew will be out there Sunday to Tuesday, the July 9th to July 11th. We'll be there. If you guys see us, stop by, say hi. I know Trevor and our editor extraordinaire, Daniel Starkin, are already there. But if you see us, the rest of the crew, stop by, say hi. We'll have some time for you guys and uh, chat some Lakers hoops. But... Appreciate you all. Hope you all enjoyed it. Till next time, see ya and stay safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.